Welcome to Personally Invested. I'm your host, Dave Richardson. This time, I sit down with one of the most interesting individuals I know, Dominic Wallington, who is a Senior Portfolio Manager and Head of European Equities at RBC Global Asset Management. Similar to a previous episode where we sat down with Dan Chornis, and I think a hallmark of great investors is an incredible intellectual curiosity, a fascination with almost everything, getting beneath the surface, trying to understand it more, and to bring to the surface what's critically important to constantly improve your process, to constantly deliver better results. Dominic applies that intellectual curiosity, and particularly the area of history and the knowledge of European history, to being a truly great investment manager in the European space. An expert on Europe, Dominic Wallington. I hope you enjoy. Dominic, welcome to Personally Invested. Hello. Wanted to have you on for a long time uh, because you are you're such an interesting uh, person to talk to for so many reasons that uh, that we're going to get into today. And fortunately, uh, I'm I'm in London uh, to uh, to meet with uh, several several of your colleagues and uh, and get a get a podcast tape. So it created a, an opportunity. I really really thank you for taking the time to to sit in with us today. Thanks, Dave. So, so Dominic, you have such a such a fascinating history, personally, and uh, why don't why don't you tell us and and, and the listeners about uh, how you got into the business, and uh, and and what you find so exciting about being uh, in the investment management business in today's world? Well, I, I think um, there was no great strategy on my part, but I yeah. was vaguely aware that my great grandfather was a stockbroker. More. Uh, specifically, I think he was a, a rubber broker. Yes. And there's a family myth that he introduced rubber trees into Malaysia. Uh, and there's a there's a wonderful story about uh, a British guy who went into South America and stole seeds, yeah. uh, rubber tree seeds, and and uh, trees were planted elsewhere in the world as a consequence of that. So if it was true, it would be it would be wonderful. But I'm I'm slightly skeptical. But I had this notion, this idea of it was uh, an exciting field to be in, that it was at the center of commerce. Sure. And then once I'd moved to London and worked in, in a few roles associated with the investment industry, uh, I got an opportunity to become a, an institutional portfolio manager. Okay. And, uh, and, and what, did, what did you do in terms of, uh, of schooling? Uh, well, I, I guess that the, the, the sort of um, end result was uh, a postgraduate degree in, in finance and investment. So in that sense, my, my education is fairly narrow okay. uh, and pretty vocational. And um, I've, I think, tried to correct that ever since. <laughs> really? Now, now, I know you're also uh, one, of, one of the things I love getting into a discussion, a discussion with you, aside from... Uh, Food and wine and, and music uh, is history. You have a, uh, a huge fascination with history and deep, deep knowledge of history. And that didn't come from your, your formal education. That came just from, from interest. Yes, exactly. I think, uh, I think it came with age to a certain extent. <laughs> sure. uh, we, have, uh, we have the kind of job that requires a lot of reading. And I think that that creates the person that you become. You know, it's a necessity for the for the job and uh, you, you begin to convert to someone who reads a lot. And I was very interested in the history of ideas 
Um, I remember reading Keynes saying something on the lines of uh, an understanding of the history of opinions is required to emancipate yourself. Uh, and I didn't really understand it at the time, but um, the more I've read about the history of ideas and a strange sort of alchemy of the way that we convert our cultures and change our cultures and the way that we're slaves to ideas that, that are almost invisible to us yes. has always fascinated me. So that's probably the area that I, I'm most interested in, to be honest. And, and so if, if we now start to shift to a discussion of, of the way you and your team manages money and thinks of investing in companies in, in Europe and really all over the world, do you, do you think there's a tie-in between what you've learned from that study of history, and again, and again, some of it's an offshoot of what you're reading as, as part of your role to begin with, but that interest in history and what you've learned from that and the approach you have to managing money. Yes, I think it's, it's very closely aligned. Uh, I, uh, Feynman used to say that doubt is a virtue, and what he was talking about was the scientific method, having a, a skeptical mindset, because all of the time people are doing things that they're not thinking about why they do them. They're, they're trapped with, within these ideologies that tend to be passed down by economists, by philosophers, just the, the cultural idiom of the day. And people don't test these things. And I begun to realize that was actually a very powerful tool from an investment perspective. Uh, and again, it, it's the rigor of the scientific method. You can't test everything. Sure. Uh, but there are popular ideas, notions that exist that create opportunities from an investment perspective. Perhaps the first and one of the most powerful ones that we, we noticed about 10 years ago was the growth in diabetes uh, yes. and chronic illness. Uh, and the advice at the time was to avoid saturated fat, to eat lots of carbohydrates. And if you read back through the history of nutrition, you realize that that was a, a remarkable departure that didn't actually have a lot of scientific evidence underpinning it. Yes. And because of the fact that this was such a powerful theme, we expected these growth rates, unfortunately, to kick up. And, and that's what has happened. Uh, and we've invested heavily in diabetes care, and that's been a, a, a very good long-term investment for us. Yeah, a, a very good investment theme. And, and then that... Uh that, that skeptical view and mindset has almost has, has led to many other very interesting investment themes that you've been able to capitalize on. Yes. Uh, I mean, the other thing that we do, that's absolutely correct, but the other thing we do is we're constantly testing ourselves. Sure. Uh, so we turn it in on ourselves as well. Why are we making these decisions? What is it that we're doing? Um, does it, does it uh, bear merit or are we just not thinking about what we're doing, are we being lucky? So in, in all ways, it's, it's given us a, a, a kind of a tightness of approach, a, a discipline that I think has been very helpful. But yes, if we look around, there's all sorts of themes now which are to a certain, uh, to, excuse me, to a certain extent, they are the sort of things where a, a skeptical line of inquiry is very helpful. If we look at the political environment, then... Um, Having a historical understanding of, of political developments is, is very useful and a skeptical sure. mindset. Uh, um, one of the biggest things that we are seeing at the moment is this incredible explosion in technology. Yes. Um, the power of, of humans now in their technologies is remarkable. And the way in which technology changes business 
um, has, has been a very important theme in the last two, three years in the way that we construct the portfolios. Now, now if we come back and, 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 and we were looking for, for, for a very, uh, a more technical view or, or the sort of classical mathematical analytical view of your philosophy in managing money, uh, what would be at the core of that? Yeah, I still think there's room for the art of investing. Oh, yes, Not everything yes. can be quantified. Sure. Uh, but if you were to look at it from, a, uh, from a, a numbers perspective, then what we tend to do is we focus on companies with higher stable returns on, on equity. Yes. Uh, that don't require leverage on a balance sheet to obtain that. So it's better probably articulated as return on assets that don't have to spend a lot of money in order to grow their businesses or run their businesses. Yeah. So they produce huge amounts of free cash flow. Those are the key criteria. And we recognize those sorts of businesses um, quite easily using a number of different instruments which are quantitatively articulated. Uh, but, but to bring it back to sort of a more naturalistic conversation, they tend to be businesses that have been around for a very long period of time. Many of them have been around since the middle of the 19th century. Uh, and uh, even some of those have owned, the companies that exist now own brands that have been around for even longer than that. Don Perignon, which is uh, a well-known champagne brand, has been around since 1666. Um, we, we sip that at dinner every night. It's lovely. I, I would expect that of you. Uh, Chateau Dicam, which is uh, another brand, uh, it's actually a wine brand, uh, owned by LVMH, which is a uh, constituent of our portfolios. Uh, that's been around for 400 years. So often, even though the, the company itself might be relatively new in terms of its structure, the, the services or the products within it have been around for a very long period of time and have cachet because of the fact that they've been around for a very long period of time. They've got this sort of narrative, this wonderful narrative that people really enjoy. Uh, and at the same time, they've demonstrated that they've gone through a lot of history. In the 20th century was an exceptionally turbulent time. Uh, any companies that have survived through that and excelled and grown to be global in nature, they, they, we are willing to bet will be good investments in the future. Yeah, I, I think uh, the, the hallmark, having, having known you now for over a decade and, and listening to you and your presentations around uh, your approach and, and just in, in some ways the way, way you look at the world and the team looks at the world, uh, it's that uh, intellectual curiosity. I always think that uh, the hallmark of great investors uh, is that they are naturally curious and, and curious in a way that's very thoughtful and they're, 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 which leads to, to different opportunities. And, and, and you may be one of the best that, uh, that I've or, or the most intellectually curious that I've ever met. Well, I think it's great fun, but I think I was shaped by the industry. I mean, I, I have um, a great team, uh, many of whom are much younger than I am, who seem to demonstrate the, this curiosity. Uh, so I, I, either the industry draws people in and or it shapes you. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. But I remember reading something by Charlie Munger, him talking about learning from the eminent dead. And that just seemed such a cool idea to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah that it kind of spurred me on. And, and uh, I, I really do enjoy that aspect of the job, I have to admit. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing as, uh, as I speak to, to different investment managers uh, all over the world, uh, the extent to, to which they read. R reading is just a, I mean, we, we, we associate uh, reading 
and 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 not just reading balance sheets, but but reading about history and 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 uh, business culture. So many different things uh, we we associated with other professions, but uh, it seems to really really be a critical factor in driving the success uh, in in as an investment manager. I I completely agree with you. It's 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 totally key. I think uh, the, the longer you do it, the, the more you realize that having a broad church of interest yes. is actually very additive because there's nothing isolated about investment. You, you're essentially investing in businesses that operate in the real world. An understanding of the real world, a, a broad approach is very useful. And therefore, just reading investment notes by stockbrokers, I think, is a minimum criteria. You should be doing more than that. You should be trying to understand how things are developing, why things work the way they do. And all of those things are um, in themselves fascinating as well. Yeah. And, and then, and then that, that rigor, uh, as you talk about, to constantly go back and test what, you, what you've always thought and, and be able to adjust or be flexible uh, when, when you have new information and new knowledge. Yes, I, I think that's very important. We don't always get it right, but we're always working at it. We're always questioning what we're doing without undermining the foundation of what we're doing. Yes. Because there would be a being too, too hard on yourself, if sure. you will. Uh, I don't think it's constructive. But yes, we're constantly trying to, uh, in a sense, disaggregate the, the decisions we make to try and see the key criteria with them. And that should enable us to um, be able to establish when we've made a mistake. And, and, and we see mistakes in a sense as a form of feedback as opposed to something just entirely negative. It's something to learn from uh, and to, to push on from. Yeah, and that, that, that willingness to learn uh, is, is, is another element that, that, that's critical to success. So, Dominic, I, I'd love to get you back uh, on, on a future trip. Uh, where we can uh, we can almost go uh, nuts and bolts into your view of uh, of what's happening in Europe right now. Uh, we're actually uh, taping this on uh, on March 28th, uh, as uh, all kinds of stuff is going on around uh, Brexit here in the UK. And I know you have some some interesting thoughts on that. So we'll hold that for the uh, for for the next podcast. But I really thank thank you for taking the time today. Pleasure. Thanks very much, Dave. Thank you for listening to Personally Invested. If you have suggestions for future podcasts, please email us at rbcgampodcasts at rbc.com.